Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries, and in this episode, I'm going to be cracking open the post bag to answer some of your voicemails. And our first voicemail is Jason Connolly from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So take it away, Jason. Hey guys, Death Knights. So, yeah, the Lord Soth novels, one of the very few D&D novels I've read back in the day when it came out. All I really remember is him standing there on the cover looking menacing. So, yeah, it didn't leave much impression. I didn't read any other D&D novels. So, you know, obviously they, they need to go in the bin. Um, Death Knights are cool. The touch tone I get for Death Knights and, and kind of the way I think I'd run with them and this is a little bit different than Death Knight but I think I like the Blind Dead films if you haven't seen the Blind Dead films they're these Spanish horror films and basically they're these um, Knights Templar that, that switched over and and to instead of serving God started worshipping demon and, and they were doomed so you have like these skeletons that ride skeletal horses and chase people down and cut them down with their swords and so the, the, the movies are I mean they're not great movies but the the images of the blind dead and especially them like riding their horses are really cool there's four of these movies actually it's you know it's kind of interesting if you haven't ever seen one you're going to watch one maybe the second one is the most exciting uh the first one's pretty thematic the third one with the the galleon is yeah it's <laughs> it, it's not good and then the last one the seagull one is is not so i yeah i would say watch the second one if you haven't seen any of them but yeah check out the blind dead Thanks very much, Jason. I know I spoke to you a little bit on Discord after you sent us this message. And yeah, I've got the Blind Dead collection on DVD. And like you say, the films vary in quality, but I really loved some of those slightly shonky special effects. And like you say, the image of the the Blind Dead who track people by sound is quite compelling. And it's definitely something I've taken and used for a series of sort of Death Knight-like entities that live on the Witch's Isle in my OSE game. So thank you very much for bringing that to my attention. As we chatted on Discord, I've also watched the most recent sort of like remake of The the Blind Dead or sort of like the latest sequel or whatever. I don't know what you'd call it, which is a sort of weird post-apocalyptic sort of style thing. And again, like all the Blind Dead films, it had some interesting ideas, but it wasn't a great film in all. But still, it was an entertaining enough watch for what it was so thank you very much for that call in jason and we've got some more from jason now so take it away enjoyed your monk doubleheader so i just i understand where john's coming from i think i disagree with him a little bit that's all right mate wouldn't be the first time someone's disagreed with me anyway sorry for butting in i agree that a lot of these subclasses take away from the main classes but you know i see the ranger is unneeded to be honest it's just a fighter and again, the paladin, you know, if you're going to be more fighty or a fighter and if you're going to be, you want to heal and stuff, then just make him a more buff cleric that's more combat oriented cleric, right? So in the black hack where you have damage dice by class, I think the monk could definitely just be a fighter. You just take that fighter, reclass him as a monk and be done with it, right? And may- maybe, you know, you do a drug deal with a DM to let you not wear armor and get lower AC or whatever. But in regular D&D, You'd have to tweak a little bit, otherwise you're not going to get the unarmed attacks that are, you know, so flavorable for a monk. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree it doesn't really fit in a standard Western fantasy, although I think it's easy enough to come up with monastic orders that brew beer, sing carols, and also, you know, train in unarmed combat styles. But all in all, great episodes, great coverage. 
and really enjoying the podcast still. Take care. Thanks very much, Jason. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You could, in a lot of games, easily reflavor the, the sort of core classes or character archetypes to get these sort of variants. I think, as you say, in D&D, it's a bit more necessary to have these additional classes because they give you like abilities that you can't really get hold of. Certainly in the earlier versions, like as sort of like feats or whatever, because obviously those didn't exist in earlier versions, to go on to a core class. And yeah, I think my sort of issue with the monk isn't so much that it doesn't fit in with the Western flavour, although I suppose I wasn't very clear with that in the original episode. My sort of uh, problem with it is that it's a really interesting archetype uh, from sort of like Eastern-inspired fantasy. And I think there's a lot of other sort of archetypes and great mythology that go with that. So if I was going to include that in a game, I almost think it's a shame to sort of bring that aspect of that sort of mythology and culture in without sort of bringing some of the others in. So if I was going to have a, a game with sort of like Eastern Star Monks in, I'd like to see more of that mythology and other stuff coming in rather than just sort of copy and pasting it into a game that's largely inspired by western mythology but now what's that i think i can hear something eating my prized lettuces in the garden if only i had someone to help me deal with these pesky arthropods hey you two that was an awesome episode on the flail snail i love that monster it is in pathfinder uh so i don't know it might have been in third edition but it is in pathfinder and they talk about its scintillating shell they, um, unfortunately, they don't give any cool things that you can do with its shell after you destroy it or kill it. It's worth 800 gold, but they don't talk about how you can make a cool-ass magic shield out of it. And they certainly don't mention anything about its trail being turned into glass. I think that is an amazing, amazing little feature that 5e threw in. And I love what you two were talking about, how... You could use that for farming glass in your medieval times game, or like if you break the tavern window or something, that is genius. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Uh, in this, it has uh, it can warp magic, so there is an 80% chance of the shell being able to warp magic if the spell is cast on the flail snail, and if that check fails, uh, like you roll a d10 and one of four things can happen. Either it'll reflect the spell back on the caster, reflect it on whoever's closest to the snail. Uh, it might just absorb the magic altogether, or it might just totally negate the, um, negate the effect. But it's a super fun monster. I've used it before and had a blast with it. So keep up the great work. Anyway, talk to you soon. Peace out. That was Joe from the Hindsightless podcast. Thanks very much, Joe. I'm glad you enjoyed the episode on the flail snail. Although it's a monster I'd sort of heard of before, I didn't really know much about it. But having sort of delved into it, doing a research for that episode, it's definitely one I'd love to use in future. And yet, I wasn't sure if it was in Pathfinder, because to be honest, the only Pathfinder books I really have are I've got the, the main sort of three core books, the Advanced Player's Guide, and the Inner Sea World Guide. And I've never actually run or played Pathfinder just because the, the whole character optimization sort of thing isn't really my bag. Although I was interested in it because I saw the books cheap, basically, 
as sort of like got them because I knew they were sort of related to like 3.5 and obviously that's not to cast any shade on like Pathfinder first edition people obviously enjoy it I know you love it I know you enjoy playing it and that is absolutely great it's just not really my bag although to be fair if someone was running it and I was offered a, a seat in a game and could make it I'd give it a go but I think I might possibly in future sort of monster episodes when we do this just have a flick through the sort of like the monster book for pathfinder and see if there is any sort of like additional stuff we can add in which i'd not considered doing before as for the the sort of properties of the flail snail and the sort of various substances it leaves behind yeah i think that's a really great thing and i love all those bits where you get sort of monsters that add like a little bit of flavor or they've got like unusual properties or you can like get some stuff from them like the glass that the flail snail leaves behind rather than just being big buckets of xp basically so i'm a massive fan of that glad you enjoyed the episode joe thanks very much for calling in and speaking of flail snails, I think Jason's back with something to say about them himself. Hey, Hannah, John, Jason here. Enjoyed your flail snails episode. I'm slowly catching up on podcasts. Um, you mentioned the flail snails campaigns. Well, we almost did one on the Audio Dungeon Discord. Didn't quite get off, but I, I think Hobbs is involved with the flail snail stuff in the past. And he was talk, He was in there, and Cody was in there, and um, Jason, you know, Wampus, not Jason. Eric with the Wampus Country stuff. I, I apologize. I don't remember his last name. I'm in the car. Eric Jensen, maybe. Anyway, we were going to do it. But the idea wasn't just through the same game system, although that was we eventually decided we'd probably use OSC. But originally, Hobbs was saying, you know, you could take characters of any kind of game. So you could go from Star Frontiers to D&D to Boot Hill to whatever. You know, it wouldn't matter the kind of game or the system, you'd still port them back and forth, which is kind of interesting. But like I say, we never actually got off the ground in AD&D. I mean, in the, yeah, in the ADD, in Audio Dungeon Discord. So there you go. Anyway, good episode. Talk to you guys later. Thanks very much, Jason. Yeah, the sort of flail snails idea of running a game was very interesting. I certainly know when I saw it, there were guidelines for converting from sort of different class and level-based games to sort of like run games in different systems. So you could take a character that was from like a 3.5 D&D and a character that was from BX and using sort of like conversions and a bit of sort of spackling over the gaps, you could sort of use them in the same game. I didn't see anything in the resources I read about using from entirely different game systems, but to be honest, if you're already doing that work to sort of like smooth over the cracks between the different class and level systems, hey, I don't see why not. And as long as everyone gets an enjoyable game, absolutely grand. That's the point of it after all. Thank you very much for calling in, Jason. And now we've got another legendary anchorite calling in, Mr. Colin Green, aka Spike Pit, to talk to us a little bit about classes and the monk. So take it away, Colin. Well, guys, really enjoyed the episode on monks. I think tackling character classes on the podcast is pretty brave, something I've steered away from, but would like a try perhaps in the future. Maybe I'll zero in on 5th edition. The interesting thing I found with 5th edition is the introduction of backgrounds in combination with character classes allows you to do some pretty clever little riffs, achieving... Maybe some of the things you were talking about liking with monks. So Gavin Norman's Friar is probably quite achievable. I, I, I play a, a halfling monk 
and that he's an acolyte and he's much more about helping the the downtrodden and he's pretty non-violent and he's not your typical eastern style monk thanks very much for calling in colin whilst i don't know about uh, tackling character classes uh, as being particularly brave although i do see what you mean um, i don't know whether we'll tackle other character classes i expect hannah will want to do an episode on the bard because that's her favorite class and i think we're probably just going to talk about the few that sort of like inspire us or that maybe we're not so keen on rather than going into any sort of detailed breakdown on the classes since i think that's been done a fair few times before that said if you want to get into like looking at classes more on your podcast i'd love to hear a bit more particularly about the fifth edition classes to be honest because i'm not as sort of I've not played as much 5th edition as yourself, so my exposure to them has been fairly limited. Although I agree, yeah, I do love the backgrounds in D&D 5th edition. I think that's a great a little addition that doesn't really add a great deal of system complexity, but can add a lot of depth to your characters. And in fact, as you know, in the OSE campaign I'm running that you're playing in at the minute, there's... Um, an advanced sort of fantasy option in there which is like an optional rule which allows you to like pick a profession and there's no real like rules for that it's just like this is the stuff you did before you became an adventurer and it's left to the gm how to interpret that and i sort of pretty much interpreted as if you want to do a task that's related to your profession and it's nothing particularly groundbreaking so like if you're a if you're like a forester and you're like, oh, I want to go and find some good wood to chop down, I'm just like, yeah, you do that. You've got the skills to pay those particular bills. If it's something a bit more sort of uh, difficult or sort of extraordinary, then I would give a bonus to a person who had those professions. And again, I think it just adds a nice little bit of depth to the characters without adding a great deal of complexity. So I shall look forward to hearing if you do some stuff with classes on your podcast. And Al, if you want someone to come on and wax lyrical about classes, hit me up and let me know. I'd be more than happy to do that. Thank you very much for calling in, Colin. And now to round things off, we've got Joe back from the Hindsightless podcast who wants to talk a little bit about the crypt thing. Go ahead, Joe. I I used the crypt thing in my uh, Pathfinder game, and it was super fun. I ended up, uh, four out of the five players ended up failing their will save, so they all got teleported hither and yon. The uh, there was one character left and one animal companion left in there, and they both beat feet real quick. And just thank you for the uh, thank you for the inspiration. That was awesome. Feel free to play this since I've sprung it on them if you want. Anyway, hope you two are well. Peace out. Thanks very much, Joe. I'm glad you enjoyed the episode on the crypt thing, and it gave you some inspiration for your game. Yeah, I think it's one of those monsters, as we said in the episode, that's great when it's sort of like used sparingly, but could become a bit sort of annoying if it was used too much. But it sounds like you've done that and you've had a great time using that in your game. So I'm really pleased to hear that. Thanks very much for calling in. And we have an email that we've received from my old friend Rob Davis, a.k.a. The Swamper. And he says, I just wanted to say I enjoyed your podcast on monks. I agree with John's comments that aside from flavor, there's little mechanical reasons to take a fighter over a monk. I've not got much to add except that the monks in 5e seem a little too superhero-y for me with all the many abilities they get as they level up. I think their damage should be lowered to be more in balance with other classes. 
I know logic doesn't apply much in fantasy RPGs, but it seems silly that punching someone wearing armor could be anywhere near as effective as stabbing them with a sword. Can you imagine punching a belay or a dragon? So thank you very much for sending that email in, Rob. And yeah, I do think the monk class leans more towards the sort of, certainly as it's presented classically, leans more towards the sort of superheroic end of the scale of fantasy, which is absolutely fine if that's what you want in your game. Personally, I tend to run sort of like a slightly more, I'm not going to say gritty, but a slightly sort of lower fantasy, I suppose, sort of version of old school D&D. So the monk always sort of stands out like a bit of a sore thumb to me. But as I've said, if I was running a campaign that took that sort of Eastern mythology sort of vibe into account, then I definitely wouldn't have a problem with using the monk. So thank you very much for emailing Rob. And thank you to all of my other wonderful callers. We had Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Joe from the Hindsightless podcast and of course colin green from spike pit not to mention rob sending us an email i apologize by the way if my voice sounds a bit croaky in this recording both myself and hannah are currently recovering from the flu she's getting a well-deserved rest trying to sleep some of it off at the moment which is why i'm recording this episode on my own but hopefully we'll be back to fighting fitness soon and we can get cracking on the podcast again So if you want to get in touch with us, maybe you've got something to say about these voicemails or maybe you've got suggestions for future episodes or you just want to get something off your chest, you can leave us a voicemail on SpeakPipe. There's a link in the description of this show. Or as Rob did, you can send us an email to oddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe and keep gaming. That was Joe from the Hindsightless...